Well, welcome to Cornerstone. We're glad you're here this morning. We're kind of moving along in our series called The Message of the Master. And this morning, the title of the message is called Practicing the Servant Life. Many of you probably have heard of a gal named Corey Tenboom. Corey and her family harbored Jewish people during the Nazi occupation. And um, she was taken, and her and her sister were taken to a concentration camp. And uh, she has a testimony, as you can imagine, of many, many moments of hardship that she went through, watched her sister die in the concentration camp. And after the war ended, she had one kind of an unusual challenge in her life. And it was at a moment where she was at a church, and she saw a former SS guard who managed that concentration camp at the church, you can imagine. And as the man approached her, he reached out his hand to shake her hand. And Corey basically said, "Um, I obviously in my flesh didn't really want to reach out to this SS guard. And she writes this. And even though Corey often spoke of the need to forgive, she knew she couldn't forgive this man in her own strength. And God had to do it through her. And Corey writes this. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command the love itself. And God gave Corey the strength to forgive and love the man when she could not. She writes about it uh, in her testimony of this moment that God actually, uh, she didn't want to reach out and shake this man's hand, but God gave her this impulse that went from her shoulder down into her hand and literally almost forced her to reach out. And when she reached out and touched this man, he mentioned the fact that he had come to know Jesus Christ as a Savior and thank God that he was forgiven and wanted her forgiveness as well. A powerful moment in her life that was really a difficult time for her to be able to, in reality, love her enemy. That's where we're going this morning. We're at the point in Jesus' ministry on the Mount, his message on the Mount, where he's been in the last few weeks, if you remember, he was addressing the matter of the law and how the law is really written in our hearts and how the law was being misinterpreted. And one of the laws that was being misinterpreted was found in Leviticus chapter 24, 20, where it said you have to have an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The problem with that was is that people were using that to give them a reason to retaliate or to revenge against a party who had offended them. And so they were abusing this this whole thing because what it was intended to be was to be able to resist evil. It it could be uh, not to resist the person, but to resist evil, just like right now as a country we're resisting ISIS. And we need to remember that we're resisting evil here. We need to continue to pray for people who are involved in ISIS. Now, that sounds strange. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But the point is, is that this is what Jesus was trying to address with people to say, listen, this is not about revenge. This is not about retaliation. You've taken this law way too far and and allowed you to do things that I am the only one who's allowed to do because God said revenge was his, not the person. So as we think about that, let's look at these verses and we'll start in verse 38 and 39. He says, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. So Jesus addresses this issue of this eye for an eye. And we want to start with verses 38 and 39 again, where he says, you've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you in the right cheek, turn to him at the other also. Now, when, when somebody strikes you, he's saying, do not resist that evil person. We can resist evil, but not the evil person. We're to love the person, but hate the sin or resist the sin. So if we do anything in terms of retaliation or revenge, we're really uh, doing something that only God is simply allowed to do. Now, what he is not saying here is that we should be what we would call human doormats. He's not saying that we should be walked on, trotted on. Um, that's not the point here. The point is, is that we're to still continue to love the person and not take revenge or retaliate. So principle number one is do not resist the evil de- de- doer with measures that arise from an unloving, unforgiving, unrelenting, vindictive position. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Look, you've been doing this all wrong. You've been doing things that have been unloving, unforgiving, unrelenting, and vindictive to people who have hurt you, and that's got to stop. You need to understand that you need to love that person. You need to turn the other cheek. You need to offer forgiveness. That's what he's really trying to say here, not necessarily becoming human doormats. And that principle, you remember, is found also in Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21. It says, do not take revenge, my friends, that, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I thought a great illustration this week is a video that I found, and I'd like for you to watch it right now because it's a powerful video of what this particular verse is really manifesting. Take a look. An enemy location was also hit nearby. The wounded had abandoned their posts looking for help. Their arrival at our camp would compel us to make the most important decision of our lives, a decision that would defy the Bushido code of honor and shame. Captain Gordon, I forbid you to give comfort and aid to the enemy. Major, those are wounded, dying human beings. They're no harm to us. Help me get back to your own men. 
Can someone please get me some water? Could someone please get me some water? It's a pretty sobering clip there of what it really means to love your enemies. And what's really interesting is when you leave the revenge up to God, he's the great equalizer. And someday God will create justice and righteousness and holiness in every event that takes place in our life. So we're better off leaving it in the God's hands when it comes to taking revenge. So here's the second principle I want to share with you this morning, and that's when somebody really cheats you or deceives you financially, you have no right to hate them and take revenge. If you read in verses 40 and verses 42, here's what Jesus writes. He said, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. The, the gist here, the emphasis here is that when somebody wants to take advantage of you financially or somebody wants to cheat you or, or rip you off, if you will, um, you need to just back off. And you have no right, that's principle number two, you have no right to uh, hate them for it or take revenge. Um, I know that uh, there was a time in, in my life where there was a, a, tra- a real estate transaction where we sold our home and my neighbor was the one that handled the transaction and told me that there would not be any sales commission because he was a real estate agent. Well, he, he, he basically lied to us, and then when it came time to close, we had to come up with $7,000. And it was, it was a horrible time. We didn't have the $7,000, and there was no way to close without that, and we were being held accountable because we signed a contract. And it was just very frustrating, and I was really angry, and I wanted to somehow retaliate or even sue the guy. And it was really, really hard for me to let that go. And I, and I think it's important that sometimes people will take advantage of us and cheat us. Have you ever had one of those deals go bad in your life where somebody ripped you off and, 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 and had a, made a deal with you financially? And it really begins to determine in your life how possessive are, are you of your possessions. 
And uh, it's not that we can't maybe uh, go, go to court with somebody or whatever, but the idea was is that I really despised this guy. I really didn't like this guy. And I, I was really hurt by him, and it was really difficult for me to swallow. And the point was is that my heart wasn't right when it came to being taken advantage of. And I needed to deal with that. And God worked it out finally in the end. But nonetheless, it was really hard not to carry a grudge towards this guy. And I wonder how many times you have been in a situation where somebody has sued you or, or taken advantage of you and you just said, enough's enough. And you've really retaliated or tried to revenge or sue them back. I remember I heard a testimony this past uh, a week ago where a gal named Hattie Kaufman was at our uh, prayer breakfast. I don't know if any of you were there. But, but Hattie was an Emmy Award-winning news broadcaster, and, and she gave her life to Christ. And um, it was a, a, a type of thing where, where she was very um, private about her faith in the early days because when you're in, in secular media, you, you know, when you're a Christian, you get a lot of ridicule. But everything was going her way until one day her husband decided to up and leave her. And it just rocked her world. And uh, she re- remembers actually driving to a little town called St. Ignatius in, in Montana, wrestling with this whole thing because her husband was suing her for a lot of money. And she uh, went into a bookstore that day, a used bookstore, and she ran into a parallel Bible. And she opened up this parallel Bible, and a, and a three-by-five card came out. And in, the, in that three-by-five card, guess what verse she wrote? She read, and if someone wants to sue you, take your tunic and let him have it. And so she went home that day and she allowed her husband and told her lawyer, said, let the husband do what he wants to do because I have all that I want. It was a powerful moment in her life. So that's principle number two. When somebody cheats you or takes advantage of you financially, we don't have any right to take revenge. I I remember a friend of mine who just passed away here a few months ago. His name was Ted. And um, Ted really took that verse literally. And what in his closing years of his life, he would always have extra money in his pocket when everybody, anybody asked him for money, whether it was a beggar on the street, a homeless person, whatever, he always gave because he felt like he was going to take that verse literally, no matter what they did with that money, it didn't matter to him, but he was going to give because possessions were not a high priority in his life. Now that would be, here's principle number three. We need to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In verses 43 and 44, here's what it says. Here's what it says. Okay. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. Now, this was a really tough one for the Jews to swallow because there were two people they hated. They hated the Gentiles, the Romans, and they hated Samaritans. And so when Jesus comes across with this and said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. He was really coming at them with a real hard nut to, you know, to crack. He was, it was a hard thing for these folks to swallow. But sometimes it's really hard for us to do the same. And essentially what he was saying here, you can love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Um, Have you ever prayed for your enemies? Um, I I, I was just uh, talking to somebody uh, between services and... um, and uh, they were just saying how they were deeply wounded by a divorce situation where their wife left them. And over a period of time, after the the wound started to heal, he began to pray for his ex-wife. 
And it wasn't too long ago where he ran into his ex-wife at a, at a wedding. And his ex-wife came up to him and she grabbed his hand and she said, you know, all these years I've been concerned and I, I want to tell you, I'm really sorry for what I did. Would you forgive me? Now, praying for that person who's persecuted you is often difficult to do. I, I was convicted by this because, you know, I've been so angry at our terrorist cells and our terrorist groups and people like the ISIS. And so this past week, I started praying for ISIS. Have you ever thought about praying for ISIS? You know, all we talk about on, on television is we ought to kill those guys. But these are misled men and women who have been duped by evil and yet they're still human beings. And I thought, you know, I need to start praying for ISIS. And then when I, when I got convicted about that, the next morning I, I went and saw a friend of mine who, who was reading a book about the Muslim world. And it was really fascinating because according to the statistics, hundreds of thousands of Muslims are giving their lives to Jesus on a regular basis. And who's to, who's to say that if the church began to really pray for these people, what God might want to do? I know that sounds crazy a little bit, but we need to love our enemies and pray for these people that are persecuting us. And so principle number four is this. The best way to overcome bitterness when hurt by others is to pray for them. You know, when we really start praying for people, have you noticed rather than starting to come up with all of these, you know, I'm going to get back at them. I'm going to make sure that, you know, they're never going to do this to me again. I'm going to separate myself. I'm going to be bitter. I'm going to never going to let this go. I'm not going to forgive them. And when in reality, if we started praying for them, it starts to ease our own heart. It starts to, to keep us from being held captive to our, only, uh, our own unforgiveness. And so praying for people who persecute us is really an incredible thing to think about. And what, he, what Jesus is saying in, in, in the rest of that verse, in verse 45, it, it's really interesting because he says um, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain to the righteous and unrighteous. And he's saying, listen, what Jesus was trying to say here to, to, to these folks and saying to us, listen, I know uh, if you're going to love people that only love you, you're not really modeling who God is. Because what God is saying here, to, he's saying he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And what he's saying here is God loves everybody. God loves everybody. And so we need to model that same methodology. And when we do that, it says at the end of verse 45, he says he causes the sun to rise on evil and the righteous. And he, he says that you will actually become like sons or, um, let's see, where did I, uh, excuse me, I need to find that. He causes the sun to rise. Oh, here it is. He says, um, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. So when we actually pray for people who persecute us and we still love them even though they've hurt us we're actually representing God's sons and daughters so we're actually acting like the father does that make sense and so we represent God when we do that so here's principle number five God shows us love to both the righteous and the unrighteous that's hard for us to do that uh, because when we see unrighteous acts, it's really hard for us to separate the person from the act, right? And yet we say, as Christians, we're supposed to love the sinner but hate the sin. 
And sometimes it's hard for us to, to, to set that dichotomy up and say, you know, I still need to love him. That father that abused me when I was a child, that person that took advantage of me, I still need to love them even though they've hurt me, even though they've abused me. It doesn't mean that I, 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 I completely trust them or walk back into the relationship or be codependent and continually turn the other cheek. That's not what Jesus was saying in the early part of this passage. But what he is saying is that you still need to love that person no matter what. And when we do that, We act just like God because he sends what? Rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, there's another principle here that is really fascinating to me because when he closes this passage out, he says, do not pagans do that. In other words, pagans can love people who love them. That's possible. But what's impossible oftentimes is when we love those who are not loving and loving. So he finishes up this passage in verse 48 by saying, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, if you read that whole passage, you say, first of all, Lord, you're really asking us to do a really hard thing here. You're you're telling me that I've got to love my enemies. I've got to turn the other cheek. And when somebody asks me and risks me off financially, I need to let it go. You're, You're telling me all this stuff. And now you're telling me I got to be perfect. Are you kidding me? Well, that's really not exactly what he's saying. He's saying, I'm not looking for you to be sinless. I'm looking for you to be perfected. That's what he's saying here. I'm looking for you to be perfected because we're never going to be totally perfect. What? Until we see Jesus face to face, according to scripture. But in the process, the best perfecting process on the planet is to go through when somebody abuses you or mistreats you or takes advantage of you. That's what practicing a servant is all about. So you can look back in your own life, and I know I can look back in my life where I was seriously maligned, taken advantage of, hurt, wounded. And I remember going through those things. And I I look back now and I say, those were the moments in my life where I had to suck it up and grow. Those were the moments in my life that now I look back and thank God for, even as hard as it was, it taught me a lot about what a servant is all about. It's taught me a lot about what Jesus said on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So when Jesus closes this passage out, he's really saying to us, listen, when you are hurt, when you are deeply wounded, when the enemy strikes, how you react to that is the way that God is trying to help mold and shape you into being more like him. And so it's not that we have to necessarily cherish it or like it, but we work through it so that when we look back, we see how we've grown to become more like Jesus in the process. So that's the context here. And that's why I titled the message practicing the life of a servant, because we can serve people who love us pretty easily. Can't we? When people love us and, and treat us well, and, and they're like-minded and we're all in this thing together, it's easy to serve that person. But when it comes down to our enemy and those people in our lives that we just can't stand because they've hurt us or maligned us or said things about us, whatever it is, that's where the rubber really meets the road when it comes to practicing servanthood. Amen. I didn't figure I'd get an amen on that one. Okay. (laughs) Well, thank you back there. So let me ask you some of these things as I wrestled with these in my own life. What's been your response in the past to those who have taken, take, taken unfair advantage of you? What's been your response? I know sometimes initially you just want to, man, I just want to nail them. I just want to get back at them. 
But what has been your response? Has it been one of, in essence, turning the other cheek? In other words, you still loving them? Doesn't mean you can't resist the evil. Doesn't mean that you can't set boundaries. It doesn't mean that you can't, you know, deal with things. I mean, that's why there's war. I mean, you resist evil. But the point is, how have you responded? Has it been a a servant Christ-like response? Or has it been one that you just, you just love to get back at him? You'd rather fight than anything else. And how often have you prayed for those who have unfairly criticized you or bullied you or abused you? You know, I, I confess, I haven't really done a very good job in that in my life. You know, I'll, I'll maybe give a token I forgive them, but in reality, I'm still holding some bitterness down deep. Have you ever been there in your life? But have you ever thought about start praying for that person? Just, just praying for them. You know, what praying does, it kind of disarms our spirit. And, and, and even if we have to force ourselves to do that, God seems to kind of undertake in that way. How often do you pray for those who have unfairly criticized you? And then I thought, you know, when he talks about giving your cloak and people suing you, it reminded me, of said, how possessive am I of my possessions? You know, we, we hold on things pretty tightly, don't we? And I'm thinking, you know, when somebody comes along and they want something from us and they kind of rip us off and not pay us back. I mean, you've been there, right? A lot of you have been there in in your lives. And it's just another reminder of how important are possessions to us. You know, later Jesus addresses that and he says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So if it's just money, it's just money. Now, I know that there's, there's things where they really, really hurt and all of that. But at some point, you know what I'm saying? I, you know, I don't know if I'm being transparent here or what. But, but, but you know, sometimes we just we hold on to things so tightly. And what's the, what sometimes is the big deal? You know, have you ever said it's, it's just only money? It's only, it's only this or it's only that? I think it's sometimes we just have to kind of rethink that. I, I was thinking of my buddy Ted who who, again, you know, he just had money in his pocket all the time. And whenever somebody asked, sure, here, here's, here's 20 bucks. Go for it. Here's the fourth thought I had. Have you ever had the opportunity to do what you saw on the screen? Remember earlier, those soldiers? Have you ever, ever had that opportunity to, to show mercy and grace to someone who really didn't deserve it? And you really, from the bottom of your heart, you really kind of, you really meant it. And God gave you the grace and, and the love to be able to do that. What, what impact did it have? I, I looked at that, that film clip and I thought, what an impact those Japanese soldiers must have had. Here the enemy and these, the enemy is coming to nurse my wounds and to clean me up. I can't imagine what impact that may have had on those men's lives. Have you ever had the opportunity or the privilege to do that? Isn't that what Jesus did when he went to the cross? Didn't he do that for us? You know, we were dead in our trespasses and sin, right? And in essence, we were the enemy. But he loved us. And even though we didn't deserve it, he went to the cross, didn't he? And he nursed our wounds. And by his wounds, we were healed, right? 
Here's the last thought that I had. I looked back at my life as I was studying this and I was thinking, how when people have taken advantage of me, when people have hurt me, when people have just bullied me and, and lied about me and all those kinds of things, and I can look back over my life now and say, how did I mature through that process? How, how, did, how was I perfected along that journey? And what's really been interesting for me is I look back on some of those incidents in my life, I think, wow, you know, I thank God for those moments. As hard as they were, as crummy as they were, as frustrating and as angry they, they were, I, I look back now and I can say, wow, I'm really glad I went through that. I, I, I really, it helped me understand more about what Jesus went through. It, it, it gave me a, a sense of, of opportunity to be able to identify with others who've been hurt and wounded. And all those pieces started to come together and I look back. And I'm wondering, have you been able to look back in your life and see that those hard moments, those moments where there was an enemy, where somebody was out to get you, and the way you handled it, how, how, how did it affect your spiritual growth and development? Because that's what Jesus was saying. Be perfected in that process. So I want to encourage you to, to go back and think through that because those, those are moments that we ought to cherish and realize as hard as they were, this was an opportunity for us to practice what a real servant was. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to hopefully unpack what you were trying to say through your son, Jesus. Lord, forgive us those times when we've lashed out in retaliation, getting all defensive and angry. And using the eye for an eye law with wrong motives. Lord, I pray for that person right now who maybe is in the midst of an attack don't know what it is but I pray that this morning has been an encouragement to them to begin to pray for that person and maybe it's in their past where there was abuse or there was rejection or there was a bullying there was something that we've never really dealt with God I pray that number one we would certainly forgive but we would also begin to pray for those people who have wounded you and hurt you and I pray that it would be an awesome time of, of growing and maturing as a servant. Lord, I thank you for how you really dig beyond the surface in this message on the Sermon on the Mount and how you get beneath the, the actual ex, outward expression of the law and get right to the heart. And I pray as we continue through this sermon that you would continue to speak to us Thank you, Jesus, for loving us who are, in essence, enemies when you went to the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.